Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. The Padres. Change is coming. Change is coming to the San Diego Padres. Hello, baseball fans. My name's Dave Guadrelli. I'm joined, as always, by Mike Liu, fresh off a San Diego Padres meltdown, and one that feels different than the others, doesn't it, Mike? (laughs) Oh, what are we talking about different? Different as in the context of this season, or different as in terms of the franchise? Because in this season, absolutely, I agree, but this franchise has a history of doing this stuff. It does, but this franchise doesn't have a history of dropping this much money on players and <laughs> investing this much money in the on-field product. The franchise doesn't have a history of that. So this is part of a bigger conversation as we jump right into it here on a Monday evening. This is part of a bigger conversation of why ownership groups and owners in general would feel like they are getting shafted when they make an investment on a team, right? Like, you look at a team like the Miami Marlins. You look at a team that we're going to talk about today, the Cincinnati Reds. Both teams doing quite well. Go look at their payrolls compared to what the Padres are doing. Owners are going to ask, well, hang on a second. Why are we putting this much money in and we're not even in the wild card race at this point for the San Diego Padres? And why is that team doing so well when their payroll is so much less than ours? Now they start looking at, okay, who do they have in charge? Who do we have in charge? What are they doing? What are good franchises doing? And hey, I know I'm a disgruntled Padres fan right now, and I'm speaking a little bit off from the heart here, but that's what owners are going to start asking. And they have been asking it, right? Like, Like, this is nothing new. Owners don't like spending a lot of money, but as soon as the Padres ownership decides, yeah, we're going to do this, They're unable to get it done. They're unable to get it done. And hey, you know what? This was a game tonight, this Monday night game against the San Francisco Giants where they just absolutely collapsed. And yes, I know that they're without Josh Hader. And yes, I know their bullpen is shorthanded and they were turning to a rookie for 
the save after it got blown. I understand all that. But tonight's loss by the San Diego Padres, and folks, if you haven't seen it already, tonight's loss by a final score of 7-4, to a game in which the Padres led 4-2 in the bottom of the ninth. In the bottom of the ninth, the Padres were leading this game 4-2. Two-run cushion. Couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done in extra innings. Leave base runners on. And then they blow it in the bottom of the 10th, completing the <laughs> completing the collapse with a moonshot into McCovey's Cove by Mike Yastrzemski. This loss feels different, Mike. Not in the context of the franchise, because there's different goals back then than there was now and different expectations. This loss feels different because we've watched the Padres collapse all season long. We've watched them blow it all season long. This feels like the game where change comes. We don't know what it's going to be. I really like Bob Melvin. I think he's a fantastic <laughs> manager. But how do you not make a move at this point? And usually the move is that the manager goes. It, taking like a micro-focused approach to this, and you mentioned Bob Melvin being a good manager, and generally speaking, he's pretty solid. But in this game, it demonstrate to me, it demonstrated he, he didn't understand momentum at all. He comes off two great wins against Tampa. Like this is a, a Tampa is one of the favorites to win the World Series for a good reason. And the Padres managed to secure two huge wins against them. You got a Soto homer, like uh you get two opposite field Soto uh, Soto hit uh, homers. Uh you get a clutch hit. You have Watch on Hill uh go into town and like both of them are just fighting it out. Why why in that moment would you put Luis Garcia there? I I understand like uh, I understand that you. I understand that he's your bullpen arm. He's your option there. But honestly, that those decisions didn't did not make make sense. And you you want that's taking like this specific game focus. But you're right. Like a loss like this really speaks to the deeper levels of dysfunction that are going on with the Padres. With the amount of money that they're sinking in on this roster. They should not be in fourth place in the NL West. Granted, the NL West is usually it's a pretty tight uh, division. Usually, um, not mu- uh, there's not much separating most of the teams at the top. But problem is, is that San Diego is not one of these teams at the top. You have Arizona, San Francisco, and the Dodgers. They're separated by four and a half. It's four and a half games. The Dodgers back from Arizona. San Fran is three and a half back from the Diamondbacks as well. San Diego is four games behind the Dodgers, and we are. Over halfway into June, there's still time, but at around the 72 game mark, we're pretty um, we're we're pretty much set. Uh, we 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 sort of have our expectations set of where where these teams are trending, and right now the Padres are not trending well. To me, they really resemble a lot of the late stage Detroit Tigers, uh, where Mike Illich was just sinking in money in hopes of building together a World Series contender, a World Series champion. It was a contender forever. And the Padres, I feel, are doing the same thing, where they're sinking money, getting these flashing names, getting all the acquisitions and the talent that they could possibly want. But unlike the Tigers, they don't have the postseason success. Like, like <laughs> I'm sure you as a Padres fan, Dave, uh, you, you can understand that, like, um, you, you can understand that the Tigers, you can sort of get away with thinking of their postseason success, even though it like, fell off a cliff at the end. The Padres haven't had that. And I think 
that much money does not justify the postseason success that they're having and definitely doesn't uh, justify the regular season that they're having right now. The question that I keep asking myself, and it's one I'll post to you, is what's this team's biggest issue? And, and the reason I say biggest is because with a lot of teams, like you can take a quick overview look at what's wrong with them and you can usually tell... Like, okay, this team's bullpen is what's holding them back. Cough, cough, Toronto. (laughs) This team's offense is holding them back. Or this team can't defend up to standard. And they're losing games off mental mistakes and little errors in the field that just shouldn't be happening. Like, you can usually, with every Major League Baseball club, uh, except for, like, you know, the ones at the very bottom, you can usually tell, okay, this is this team's biggest weakness. This is what they would need to address in order to, you know, become competitive. For the Padres, it feels like something new every night. Like, when the starting pitching's going, the bullpen's not going. When the bullpen's going, the starting pitching's not going. When the offense is clicking, the pitching isn't good. Bullpen and starters. When (laughs) the pitching's really good, the offense goes to sleep. And I I think that's what becomes so frustrating about it, is it's just... Like, in hockey, we would say you're not putting in a full 60-minute effort. (laughs) But for the Padres, they're not getting everything clicking at once. And dare I say it, they're rarely getting two things clicking at once. Like, two out of those three things are rarely clicking at once for this team. And tonight, like, it was a story of, yes, you had a shortened bullpen. You got what you wanted from Michael Waka. Like, Michael Waka goes six innings, two earned runs. That was a great start from who has arguably been the Padres' best pitcher this year. And I don't think anybody saw that coming. Nope. But Michael Walker has been the Padres' best starting pitcher. He goes six innings. You can't ask for much more than that. But with a weak bullpen, you had to go with Tim Hill for two innings. Like you said, not sure if I would have pulled him out for Luis Garcia, the third Luis Garcia in the MLB yep. that I can uh, <laughs> name off the top of my head. Um, but you take Tim Hill out. And then it all kind of goes south from there, as you mentioned. But what is this team's biggest problem? Like, uh, to me, I think it's the offense. Like, I think it's the offense because that's where you're pouring the most money into. It's not like this game was blown by the Padres' super expensive setup pitchers followed by their all-star closer. Like, no, this, this game was blown by guys that are making near the league minimum because they're not really big league arms just yet. They're, the Padres are shorthanded tonight with the bullpen. We, we've already established that. I understand that. But to me, it's the offense. Like, I don't see any injuries in that lineup. I don't see anybody in that lineup that shouldn't be performing way above where they're at right now. Like, Hassan Kim led this team in war for a really, like, I think all through May. Like, from the start of the season, all through May, Hassan Kim was this team's best player. That's not a good, that's not a good sign. I love Hassan Kim. That's not a good sign when you have Juan Soto. That's not a good sign when you have Fernando Tatis Jr. That's a horrible sign when you have Manny Machado in your big new signing in Xander Bogarts, who, Xander Bogarts, don't get me wrong, started the season really hot in April, right? But not a great sign that Hassan Kim was this team's leader come May. I I don't know what the answer is, but the bats need to wake up. Like, I think, simply put, 
that's the biggest thing for this team is their offense needs to have some level of consistency. I I would agree that the offense what is an issue. Like going back to our previous episodes, we talked a lot about how Gary Sanchez is the best catcher in MLB <laughs> and they've one of the best best offensive producers at that position. But in a team where you have Tutties, where you where you have Soto, where you have Xander Bogarts, like should Gary Sanchez be one of your best hitters? Like one of your deep, best deep ball hitters? I, I, I don't think that's what you want out of your team. It's great that he's providing that value. Like, don't get me wrong, but that it's not consistent enough. And you know that he is legit. Like he is so icy hot. It, it, when he's hot, he's raking. When he's not, like, when he's not, he's out of the MLB. Um, that's not a type of player that you should be counting on to provide your offense day in day out. And the Padres are running issues uh, when they can't get that those runs clicking. Um, I would bring up pitching, but again, you get really gutsy performances out of some of these pitchers. And I'm willing to give the Padres pitching staff the benefit of the doubt, too. You had Joseph Musgrove to start the season. like He started the season off injured, and he's only recently started looking a bit more like himself. He still isn't exactly the same, but he's still able to get you through. He's still able to eat up innings and get you to the point and give you a chance to win. And I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the Padres pitchers being able to give you a chance to win that's not a guarantee for most teams in the league and i think the padres actually have a good group uh, of arms that can do that and we can talk about how hater dropped off at the end of the last season but he's still one he's still is one of the best closers in the mlb so what's the what's the excuse for the offense not to get the job done right uh, it, the, the inconsistencies are so frustrating with this team because on days uh, you just don't see their team firing on all cylinders on any given day. And I don't think we've seen a complete performance from them uh, in 2023. And for a large, I think that's a large part of the reason why they're currently sitting in fourth. And uh, I, I personally don't see them really making much noise unless, unless they can figure out how to really get that offense going, get get the pitching that they need. Just even on their bad days, bring in solid performances to get them in position to win games. A uh, shout out to my boy, Gary Sanchez. He actually had some nice defensive plays behind the plate tonight. <laughs> Got some love from both broadcasts for his, uh, for his blocking and framing ability. I never thought I'd see the day, but a shout out to Gary Sanchez. He went over four at the plate, but he blocked a couple pitches when it mattered. So shout out. Gary Sanchez. I, I don't want to keep talking about the I, I'm. I don't want to say I'm sick of this team, but you just said it. Like I don't think they're going to turn it around. I think tonight was kind of the. I don't want to use the term "nail in the coffin" and sound super dramatic, but this was either the night where this season ends or where this team goes out and makes a change because it can't keep going like this. Like like it cannot keep going with this level of mediocrity. It just can't. And I know they're seven and three in their last 10. Like, I understand that for the most part, they've started to turn things around. This team, keep in mind, some of those wins were against the Rockies, the Guardians, okay? <laughs> uh, and I know they played the Rays too, but still. This um, cannot go on with this level of inconsistency. It just can't. It just can't. you got to give some credit to the Giants, though. Um, funnily enough, going back to May 15th, very arbitrary date, they are 20, they're 21 and 9. So this isn't exactly like a cakewalk. They're not... It's a running joke. It's like, oh, are the Giants back? Are the Giants back? Are the Giants back? They're on a pretty solid streak. So 
we'll see. We'll see where it goes. It's not like the Padres were <laughs> were expected to roll over the Giants, but man, what a demoralizing loss. Yeah, I, I think what it comes down to is that they had the 4-2 lead in the bottom of the ninth. Like, oh. they had the lead. It was right there. The game yeah, it was, was right. They got it. And it was their did. game to lose, and they did. Like, they went ahead and did just that. So, look, when it comes to the NL West, I don't... I Honestly, I'm done talking about the Padres in the conversation for that. They're not going <laughs> to win the NL West. They might get a wild card spot if they're lucky, but you're looking around the league at the teams that are surging, and to be quite honest with you, the Padres are trending just in the wrong direction. And I, I, I want to see something. I want to see something happen. This feels like the one... That is going to be a nail in the coffin. Because this team's still below 500. Like you just said it, around the 70-ish game mark, we have a good idea of what the playoff picture is going to look like. And a quick message to ownership, it does not include the Padres. That's not a great (laughs) sign in the middle of June. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, NL Central, the story. the, The story of baseball. Last week we were talking about the Oakland Athletics being the hottest team in baseball. This week... It's the Cincinnati Reds, and Mike, it means a little bit more that Cincinnati Reds are the hottest team in baseball because they have skyrocketed to the top of the NL Central tonight. They move past the skidding Milwaukee Brewers, who have been brutal lately. I know you want to talk about the Brewers. We will do that in a sec. Cincinnati Reds move to first place in the NL Central with their ninth straight win. Now, I want to call it the Ellie De La Cruz effect, and to some extent that is true. The guy is an absolute gamer and he's fantastic, but this has been by committee. Like, the Reds are coming together. They are playing like a really good ball club right now. Like, I don't know how many games of theirs you've watched over this nine-game winning streak, but it's coming from everyone. Like, it's, it's, it's a mentality of... Pass it, pass the baton to the next guy. Like everybody is producing in that lineup right now. They're getting the starting pitching. They're getting the bullpen help tonight. Unbelievable, unbelievable performance against the Colorado Rockies from Alexis Diaz to shut the door. And I know that upsets you a little bit, but you have to give credit where credit's due. Alexis Diaz with the save tonight. Dude, is, dude has electric, electric stuff, and it was on full display tonight uh, as the Reds beat the Rockies five to four. I mean, yeah, they beat the Rockies, and I mean, was it really a surprise at this point that any team beats the Rockies? Um, no, but all credit to the Reds. I mean, it isn't an easy schedule that they've played either. Um, it, it, it for a team that looked like they were legit gonna fall fall off of the map last year like honestly all throughout last year i just remember storylines about their owner being just cheaping out being like there there was so much surrounding this team off the field that it started to affect the on-field product and you saw how they really cheaped out in the offseason but yet they're just stringing results together and it isn't all cakewalk yeah sure they had the royal series thrown in um like last week they they're sweeping the Astros. They're getting wins off the cards and the cards and Dodgers. This team is just getting it done, and it's not even it's not even in unconvincing fashion. There are times when they look like a really 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 solidly built ball club, and I think a lot of that has to do with how many of their young young prospects are really coming up and stepping up. We talked about Ellie De La Cruz. There's um, there's Abbott who's 
I he's I don't think he's he still hasn't given up an earned run, right? Like that's kind of that's kind of crazy. Um you you're you we're talking about a team that's coming together and obviously it's been the tonight was also buoyed a lot by Joey Votto coming back from major surgery on his left shoulder, I believe. And you know, that's not exactly easy to come back from at his age playing baseball with repeated overhead motions. That is impressive just to come back to play at this level and then to go and hit a homer when he comes back. It's it's a story, but it's poetic. It's a storybook, a storybook return that you really couldn't write up any better. Three RBIs for Joey Votto tonight. I, I don't call it unbelievable. I don't want to overuse that word, but you just said it. Home run, storybook return. For Joey Votto to the Reds lineup, I want to play a clip. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear it in a second here. I want to play a clip from Joey Votto pregame, uh, what he said about returning to the Reds lineup. Now, I really like Joey Votto. I really like him as a player. I really like how honest he is with his interviews. He's got a good way of talking. I think I'll, I'll just leave it at that. He he speaks clearly. He speaks. He, you can tell every word he says is very calculated and that he really thinks about what he says. You don't get many cliches from Joey Votto. This was what he had to say about joining the Reds, joining a red-hot, young Reds team, and batting lower in the lineup as well. Here is Joey Votto. Things are changing for the best. It's a new generation. It's a new era of Reds baseball. And it's the players, the faces that you see on a nightly basis that everyone should be excited about. And as a Reds fan, as a Reds fan, I'm excited about it too. I feel lucky and grateful to be able to come back and play. I feel like I just got called up, if I'm most sincere. I feel like this is 2007 all over again, and I just got called up, and we'll see how I play, but I can't wait to compete. I'm down in the lineup. You know, when I first got called up, I think I hit deeper in the lineup. I, I love it. I love it. And, and most importantly, um, I love that I'm joining a team that I love that I'm joining a team that is doing um, so well that uh, it's, I, I have to be a value add. I have to be an add. So uh, I, I, it's the type of ball I want to play. I've said this before, um, I want to perform well. It's what I expect to do as long as I wear a uniform. And now I'm in a position where I only have a choice to play well, which is even more like right up my alley. So uh, I'm stoked. Um, Everything is about the guys in the clubhouse, the Reds, the fan base. I feel the excitement in the city. You know, um, I'm just grateful. I'm really grateful to be back and to be a part of this. All right, now... The thing I want to point out about that clip, Mike, is how leadership in a clubhouse, how far it goes, right? Like, like there's a guy in Joey Votto who's been a lifelong red, knows what it means to put on that uniform, you know, probably means more to him than anybody else in that clubhouse. And that's no disrespect to anybody in that clubhouse. It's just a, you know, a glowing review of Joey Votto, the person. And... To have him leading your ball club, right? Like you just said it, um, you know, they they were able to kind of rally around the return of Joey Votto and nine straight wins for this ball club right now. 
this is the most fun that I think Joey Votto's ever going to have as a Cincinnati Red. And I really hope he can keep it up because as he just said, now there's guys waiting to take his spot, right? And I think that's actually something that has kind of gone by the wayside a little bit with Major League Baseball, just in the new er- new era that we're in, is that kind of like accountability. And I've heard, I've heard different big leaguers talk about this, um, about how the level of accountability has kind of gone. Like you see guys hitting... 220 and they're still getting put out there every single day in the starting lineup and you know I like to see it from Joey Votto to say something like that where you know he needs to play well like he has to earn his way and I really like him kind of pointing that out because hey while that may seem like a message to his teammates as in yeah you guys are so great and it's just a glowing review it's also setting the standard right like like it's holding himself to a higher level and holding himself in a regard where he's making it clear to everybody on that team that there's a standard that needs to be met when you're on a winning club. And I understand that Joey Votto hasn't been a part of many winning clubs because he plays for the Cincinnati Reds, (laughs) but they're trying to turn it around and having Joey Votto in that clubhouse is absolutely invaluable for that team. Yeah, I was going to say, the for Votto's time with the Reds, they haven't had many really, really good teams. And oftentimes, it is him leading the charge. But now they have good pieces. They have Jonathan India. They have De La Cruz. They have a Hunter Green. Like, it's he is forced to be excellent. Um, well, not forced, but there is genuine motivation for him to be at the top of his game because... Now, instead of like previous seasons, there is actually somebody waiting, nipping at his heels, ready to take his spot if he fall like not if he falters, but again, you're at he's at the stage in his career where the Reds are realistically looking uh, looking to replace him long term, and for Vada to come back, he's talking about how he feels like he's been called up. There's there's that urgency, there's that sense of there's that sense yeah that sense of urgency. And the standard that he has to uphold. And as a veteran in the club, if if you're a rookie and you come in and see the longest tenured member of the ball club working as hard as he does, to have the mentality that he does, coming back from 10-month absence with the injury that he had, and just to go out and play for the uniform, play for the uh, play for the uniform that he wears, I think that sends a lot of the right messages and we talk a lot about culture and how ball ball club culture can really influence the success of a team i think that's a really 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 big impactor for for a small market or quote unquote small market team like the cincinnati reds and i Votto does a huge part in establishing that identity let's transition this conversation because hey the toronto blue jays lost 11 to nothing to the miami marlins today (laughs) in all seriousness This is my question, and what I kind of want to tie this into is, I just talked about Joey Votto setting the standard for the Reds. Like, they've got a young Ellie De La Cruz coming up, and hey, this is a conversation that goes to the Padres as well. And to some extent, I think it goes to the Mariners as well. Like, there's there's a lot of teams. You could pick and choose a lot of teams. I just chose my two favorite teams. But who is the Joey Votto in the Jays, Padres, or Mariners clubhouse? Like, who is the guy that is going to stand up and say, hey, what's going on is unacceptable, and we need to set a standard here. <laughs> I I don't know who it is in any of those teams. Like, I, I know, like, a guy who's been there, done that. Like, for Toronto, some people are going to stand up immediately and say, oh, George Springer. No. George Springer signed no. as a free agent. 
Like, he's not... Like, he is a leader, but I, I don't know he's how much of a... How much of a voice he's really able to have in the sense of everybody in that clubhouse, when he walks in, immediately respects him. The way that Joey Votto is obviously respected in Cincinnati. The way David Ortiz set the standard in Boston. The way Derek Jeter in New York, right? Like, the way that when anybody walked into that clubhouse, it was immediately clear who the leader on that team was and who it is that you can go to if you have any questions because there's a guy that's been there done that knows all about it that's who you need to go to i i don't know if the jays have anybody like that and i and i wonder how many how many more teams we're going to see kind of plagued with these issues before we start to turn it back a little bit and i'm not saying go complete old school and everything and throw the analytics out of the book but I think there's there's less of an importance put on leadership in baseball than I think ever before. And I, I don't like to see it. I, I don't like to see it. And Joey Votto's return made it a really nice time to have this conversation because just listening to what Joey Votto had to say pregame, you can tell that he's a culture carrier for the Cincinnati Reds and he is going to be the reason that this team not only makes the playoffs but potentially sets up their next... And, and look, having L.A. Dale Cruz, all the pro scouting they've done, or excuse me, amateur scouting they've done, obviously that helps. But having Joey Votto there to guide these guys and you know really pass them the baton and show them the ropes, like if things get off the rails for the Cincinnati Reds, they have somebody who's going to stand up and tell them, hey guys, it's okay, this is what we need to do. A calming veteran presence... They have that in Cincinnati, and they don't have that in San Diego. They don't have that in Seattle, and they don't have that in Toronto. I, th- those teams' approach to building, building a winning team has been to collect the best possible players and put them together and hope it works out. That's that's the impression I get from the Padres. For the Blue Jays, you get more of that prospect development uh, aspect to it, obviously. You're the one that found Bichette. You found Guerrero. Um, Manolo, well, Manolo, when he was a signing candidate, I mean, like, he was in the system for a while. Like, yeah, you have these kids moving up through the ranks. You're getting a lot of splashy free agent signings. But you don't have that point, that culture point. And, that, and David, you're right. Like, Votto does so well in communicating the value of what it means to be a Red. Who's going to say, who on the Padres will say, this is what it means to be a Padre? Who on the Jays will say, this is what it means to be a Jay? I don't think I can name a single person that could do that. And if I'm being honest, the reason why I feel that these teams saw initial success in the first place was because everybody was having fun. They found they found their groove. They were going. You saw that with the Jays uh, when they were just they were just buzzing. They were getting they were getting ready. Obviously, we know how that season ended, but um, they no, like they were all buzzing, having a great time. The same thing with the Padres. It was a young group looking having fun. This was before Tatis got himself um, got himself into a, a motorcycle accident and also get busted for drug uh, drug use, but um, no, it was two teams having two young teams having a lot of fun. But what happens when that fun stops? What happens when things aren't going your way? When things aren't 
enjoyable when you're not hitting the way you're uh, when you're not hitting the way you, you want to be hitting when your pitching is letting you down when your bullpen is blowing games left right and center what happens then and that that's where someone like Votto, someone a leadership figure is so so important it's that rock that can hold you down and say listen this is our identity as a ball club this is this is what it means to be a, a san diego padre this is what it means to be a toronto blue jay I know I'm sounding like a real old school, uh, old school baseball, um, baseball fan, but like, dude, it, it used to mean something to be playing for a specific ball club. And I think that meaning has been a little diluted, um, given how much player movement uh, there is, how much money there is being thrown around. Like, can you imagine if Bryce Harper played, let's say in the eighties and nineties, like, could you see him making the same move from Washington to Philadelphia uh, if he played during that time in that era where loyalty was so valued? Like, I, it's just, there's no long tenured members on either of these ball clubs. And I think they're struggling a lot because there's nobody to hold them down and be like, listen, this is the standard we hold ourselves to here. That's how we've done it. And this is what we're going to keep doing to become better. And this, there's a larger conversation there about the luxury tax and all that stuff, all these self-inflicted wounds from ownerships and all that sort of stuff. But your point is very valid. Like, I'm looking at the teams and I'm trying to think who's a guy they should have kept that could have helped them carry the culture. To me, for Toronto, I think it's pretty glaringly Marcus Stroman. Like... Marcus Stroman was a guy who wanted to stay in yep. Toronto. He never wanted to leave, and they let him go. And I'm not just saying this because he's probably putting together one of the best years of his career right now at age 32. <laughs> he was a guy that, if you recall, when Vladdy and Bo were in the minors, he was speaking to the media saying, I don't know why those guys aren't up here, and I want them up here. I think they can play. Yep. And I think they can help us win. And we know it had a lot to do with service yep. time, especially back then. Um, Mark Strom was a guy that was going to bat for those guys before they were even in the MLB. Speaking glowingly about them before they were even in the MLB. He just gave the entire Chicago Cubs roster uh, Nintendo Switches in their lockers. Now, I that's a guy to me, and I know he's just a pitcher. That's a guy that you want to keep around. And that's a guy that should have yep. stayed in Toronto. He should have never had to leave. He wanted to stay in Toronto. I, I get he's, he has his issues. I understand a lot of people don't like the abrasive personality, the theatrics on the mound. I love that stuff personally. So I think Marcus Stroman is a guy <laughs> you wanted to keep there. I, I think that he would be someone that would really help this ball club. Not only right now because he's a, you know he's a star pitcher right now in the league. But through those lean years, he was willing to stick around and kind of see it through, right? And they're on the other side of it now, and what do they have to show for it? They they got swept by the Mariners last year. They might not even make the playoffs this year. For the Padres, I don't think it's as obvious. I, I, I think maybe you can make a case for Will Myers. And in Seattle, I think it's Mitch Hanniger all the way. Anyways, you were yep. about to say something Mitch about Hanniger. Toronto. You go ahead. <laughs> No, it's just uh, you look back at Toronto. I honestly feel that that the Rangers series just just this past weekend that was a huge crusher for them. Like you go in big two one win on Friday, 
you lose four to two on Saturday and fine, whatever. Like that that sort of loss happens. And then yesterday, an eleven to seven loss. And again, it's a good Rangers team. There is nothing wrong with losing to the Rangers. But it feels like this team is missing something. It's missing this extra gear. We know about their bullpen struggles. We know how their starting pitching has been up and down. But this team has done nothing to address any of it. And it honestly sucks to see with the Jays. And it's just not go. It's not going well. They're losing to the Orioles. And the Orioles are a good team right now. Not, not to get it wrong. But the Jays are allegedly supposed to be better. It's just not happening for them. Yeah, it's almost like the Padres where there's not one thing that's plaguing them, right? Like, to me, <sighs> yeah, I think bullpen is the biggest thing, but obviously there's some nights where it's not, where the bullpen's fine and the offense isn't there. And that's going to happen, but you're right. Like, they haven't addressed the big issues, and it's one of those teams that, you know, it would be great. It would be great if they had that leader to help them kind of bridge that gap. And I... Honestly, like we just threw out three names. Like Will Myers, I'm not sure Will Myers would have helped much in, in San Diego. Um, but <laughs> like, you know, a Mitch Haniger in Seattle, like there's a guy who was there for the lean years. Um, you know, even like a Kyle Seeger, for example. Um Oh yeah. You know, there was a guy who was there for so long. Um Mitch Haniger's probably the best example that I could give for someone that Seattle probably I, shouldn't I have gotten rid of. Yeah. I, I think so too. Like, remember when he blossomed into the only thing the Mariners had for the longest time and just kept them somewhat relevant? Yep, I I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. And, and that's the thing is, you know, that's Joey Votto to Cincinnati. Right? That is Joey Votto. That is yeah. literally Joey Votto to Cincinnati. And I wonder, I wonder how long it's going to take for teams to kind of see that and say, okay, like we need to have this one guy who helps us carry the culture and helps us set the standard, even if our team isn't winning games around him, someone who's sticking with us. Like, like the, the application of this would be like, they trade everybody but Vladdy and but Bo Bichette, and they rebuild everything in Toronto, and those guys are there for some lean years, but then when the next wave is coming up, they've kind of set the standard. The example in San Diego would be to do that with, like, Fernando Tatis. I thought it would be with Manny Machado and Eric Cosmer, but apparently not. (laughs) I I think you need to have a guy that you really trust to kind of be at the core of that, and I think that's what the Reds have in Joey Votto. And I don't want to keep talking about this because we're beating a dead horse, it feels like, at this point. But leadership in baseball matters, and I feel like it's getting kind of, you know, thrown by the wayside uh, with this new kind of era that we're in where there's such a such a uh, high level of importance put on analytics and all that stuff and, and you know you you brought it up earlier understanding momentum right like Blake Snell's career in Tampa Bay ended because they pulled him in the World Series game and went yep. on to lose it even though he was rolling they didn't want the the Dodgers I believe it was Dodgers batters to see him for a third time through the order because the analytics say, and they're right, obviously, it's it's a stat, <laughs> that when a pitcher faces, when a batter faces a pitcher for the third time in a game, he usually has a lot more success. And the pitcher starts to get tagged and hit, hit around a little bit. But when you're a baseball, I don't want to say purist, but it, when when you understand 
the momentum of a baseball game, you can see that Blake Snell was rolling that night. There was something special about Blake Snell's performance that night. And you at least have to let him see those batters. Like, you at least have to give him the opportunity. You don't just pull him. And, hey, like, he was gone. He was gone to San Diego the very next year. So, look, yep. I I don't know where I'm going with this. But, I, look, I, I understand the new era. I, I get it. I wonder how much of the old school stuff we start to see brought back. Leadership in baseball is one of them. No, I, I agree. I don't know where I want to go now. Like, wh- like what else is there around the league? Like, Henry Davis gets the call up. Um, just another name. The Padres have lost, or excuse me, the Pirates have lost seven straight games. So I'm sure yeah. they're going to be looking for some more offense. Um, Henry Davis did make his debut tonight. So we should obviously mention it. Yes, they lost that game. He got his first hit, though. Of course. He got his first hit. Huh. Uh, also his first strikeout okay. and his first walk. It was a pretty uh, pretty big game for him. <laughs> Catching prospect, but he started in right field. That just seemed like an effort to me to kind of... Um, you know, let him get a feel for the new pitchers that he's going to be catching. Remember, this guy's only 21, was just in double A, but he represents another name. We talked about Adley Rutschman. He's in our intro of this very podcast. He's another young catcher that seems to just be this new era of guys who can do it all behind the plate. Like, like how much were we talking about, oh, well, catchers aren't really an offense-heavy position. We were talking about Gary Sanchez is a unicorn because he can hit. And we were talking about um, Yadier Molina and being a basically all defense catcher, and then he, you know, he had some good years at the plate as well. But but for the most part, we've talked about how catching isn't a position where you get a lot of offense, and now you're seeing it. You're seeing these guys come through. And you know, Henry Davis, obviously first overall pick in 2021. Rutschman was first overall pick in 2020. You're seeing these guys that come through that are just really really solid catchers going really high in the draft and it's like that new era it's like a new era of catchers that we're seeing i think that that's what catchers need at the in this day and age to succeed in the mlb you need to be able to do everything just being good behind the plate won't get you anywhere just being good at the dish won't get you anywhere either it it, there's just no room for a one tool a one tool star so to speak like you really need players to be able to do basically be at at the very minimum decent at everything with one one tool above everything else and ideally you have them good at everything and that's really translating through um with the catching prospects we're seeing these days uh one of the one of the most bizarre stats i saw or not bizarre but a lot of attention gets focused on the al east but the nl east so Philadelphia, they're on a six-game win streak. They finished. They they went through the month uh, with a something like a thirteen and two record or something. Uh, they're still eight games behind Atlanta because Atlanta's just been on a roll themselves. They're on a uh, six-game win streak themselves as well. That division is absolutely brutal. Philadelphia's one game back of uh, the wild card, and they are thirty-eight and thirty-four. It's it is not easy. Uh, in the in NL East these days, they would be first place in the NL Central. They would be 
Third place in the in the NL West, which we were just talking about, is quite a wagon. And obviously, AL Central, they would be first by a mile in that division. Right. With the oh, AL Central, sure. all everybody has a losing record now. I don't even want to change <laughs> my pick that the White Sox are going to win that division because who the hell knows with that division what's going to happen. The Angels are surging. That's going to be what we close out with. But I want to go back to the Phillies. Have you seen... Kyle Schwarber's numbers in June. Like, yo, yo, I was gonna say Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> if June was the only month of the season, he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And if June didn't exist, Kyle Schwarber would have been DFA'd a long time ago. He is so good. He is so good. And <laughs> he he's he really he he is largely behind this Philly surge that we're talking about right now, where you just said it, they've won six straight. Kyle Schwarber's been dynamite in June, and that's just um, a habit for him. So Kyle Schwarber I'm a Kyle Schwarber fantasy owner, so like I was really sticking around for thin times. Now it's really, really good. But here's his numbers on the year. He's slashing a one eight seven. 332 and 455 with 20 home runs and a negative 0.6 war like dude is this good is this a good player we're talking about here now look at just his june numbers dude (laughs) it is not it is absurd like how he's been able to just oh i am a top 10 batter in this league now what like what are we this this is ridiculous uh, this is a ridiculous level of just like all of a sudden this guy in one month finds his on switch and is just like okay i can hit a baseball look i know clutch isn't a quantifiable stat but kyle schwarber is clutch as hell and for some reason oh he thinks God. the world series is in june because also like let's <laughs> not forget he's also been really good in the world baseball classic he's been really good in the world World Series. He's been really good in October for the Phillies. He he's he's a clutch hitter. He he is a clutch hitter, and I know it's not a quantifiable stat, and everybody gets mad at me for it, but he is a very clutch hitter. And look, I June is his month. I would be curious to see between him and Max Muncy, who is the one who decides to have these random months where they just become one, the hottest player on earth. And then just kind of mediocre to bad the rest of the time. Yeah, that'd be an interesting head-to-head battle. I, I want to dive into the numbers on that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I don't have them in front of me, but I think it would be a lot of fun. Okay, do you want to talk, uh, do you want to talk about your, uh, your angels to close it out? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> what, what is there to talk about the angels? I, I, I'm 
kind of stag. I don't know how that pick is working out for me, but it really is. I'm just vibing, and obviously, like they, um, they just they're coming off a series against the Royals, and the Royals are the worst team in the MLB. Um, they've all. There was that one stat. Uh, was it Lyles, the starting pitcher? He's 0-15 every time he starts with Royals or something like that on this season. It's it's bad. Um, they dropped a game to the Royals, 10 to nine on Saturday. Kind of sucks, but they took two out of three against the Rangers. Or not two out of three, four, uh, three out of four against the Rangers. They're getting into two out of three against the Mariners. Like, are the Angels good? Are the Angels actually doing all right for themselves? I don't know how to feel about this because we've seen this before. We've seen the LA Angels. Oh, they're gonna, they're on a pretty good run of form. They're getting, uh, they're getting some wins together, and then all of a sudden it goes to absolute shit, and they just kind of just eat it. But um. They're second in the AL West. They're keeping pace with the Rangers. They have they are seven and three in the last ten, where the Rangers are five and five. They're only five games back. Could they could they get the title? I don't know. But I'm gonna enjoy the ride while it lasts. Nine homers so far for Shohei Otani in June alone. <laughs> he is now leading the big leagues in homers. And a week ago, he wasn't even in the top five. So the fact that he's where he's at now is quite remarkable, to, to say the least. And he's been the driving force behind it. Obviously, you knew they would need him to be that driving force if they're going to make any noise yep. here. Hey, we're going to keep having the conversation. I don't want to bring it up now and poop on your parade. But what the hell does this team do with Shohei Otani at the deadline? <laughs> Are they really going to hang on to him in the name of winning a playoff series? Like, this team can't win the World Series. They, they, they legitimately do not have the power to win a World Series. They, they can't. Now, do they want that playoff revenue? Yeah, probably. Are you going to be able to keep Shohei Otani beyond this year? You better be damn sure of it if you're going to keep him at the deadline. Because... You have a chance to get the best return in maybe any trade in pro sports history. <laughs> like, and it's hard to contextualize, <laughs> I, I understand, but you have a chance to grab basically the next wave that's going to carry your franchise for the next 10 plus years. You have a chance to make some noise at the deadline here. Like, and this thing about prospects these days is if you go out and get six of a team's top 10 prospects, most of those guys are going to be in your lineup or on your roster by this time next year, right? Like, like you look at the ETAs for most of the, most of the top prospects in baseball. Most of them are only a year or two away from the time they're drafted. So if you're getting an elite talent like that, let alone six of them, You've got to make that trade. I, I just, I, it, it's tough. It's tough because if you're in a playoff spot, I, I don't know. Like, I think you back up the truck and you try to keep them, right? Like, I think that's what you have to do if you're in a spot, in a playoff spot, is you have to try to keep them. I just don't know if it's going to be possible. I wouldn't focus on if it's possible or not. I'd just focus on the fact the Angels are winning games, and that in and of itself. Is a miracle. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have this conversation over and over again about like, oh, what did the Angels do about Otani? I think 
I think another conversation has to be had about what they do with Mike Trout because if if we're being honest, if this team really wants to have that full reset and to maximize the value of what an Otani return will get them, they're going to probably have to deal Mike Trout. And this is probably the best player. Statistically, I think he's still the best player in MLB history in terms of um, war, if we're looking exclusively at that. Um, yeah, no. Uh, they would look at dealing him away. And honestly, I want to see them play postseason baseball. I don't think that's happening in Los Angeles, even though I picked them to win the division. Um, it would suck for either of these players to go their entire careers without winning World Series. That That's just my honest opinion. Because I feel that these two are and will continue to be the faces of the MLB. I don't think any amount of... I don't think the amount of post... The lack of postseason success will affect how they're perceived. But I want to see them win. I want to see them succeed. And I'm not sure that comes in Angels Red. Yeah. I would love to see them team up somewhere else. I don't think it's going to happen, but I I don't know. Like This is going to be a conversation we have all down right up until the trade deadline, so we're not going to have it right now. We'll, uh, we'll we'll continue it, I'm sure, next week. I think we're going to record just for... You know what? I, I should have told you this. We got like 25 consistent listeners. We had 25 returning listeners for episode two. We have two. 25 li- Wow. That's right. 25 <laughs> consistent, like as in they returned from episode one. That came back and said, you know what, I'm listening to episode two too. So we'll see how many people listen to episode three here. Uh, We're going to have a more consistent schedule moving forward. We're going to record an episode on Friday, get you set for the weekend. uh, And then we're going to be looking, I think, at Wednesdays, Fridays from that point on. Maybe some shorter episodes. We don't know. We don't really know what we're going to do. We just kind of sit here and talk baseball. We're going to continue to do that and keep it real. But for now, we're going to close it out. Do you have anything you want to say before we close it out here? Nothing in particular. I'm just looking forward. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day that Corbin Burns doesn't disappoint me. Yes, I'm looking forward to the day that the Mariners win a series because they've been doing it, <laughs> but win a series against a top team like the Yankees, who they open with tomorrow. George Kirby on the bump against Garrett Cole. They got this baby. Oh man. I want to talk about Logan Gilbert's inconsistencies, but I'll save it for another time and just pretend like I'm not a disgruntled Logan Gilbert fantasy owner and that's why I want to have that conversation, well, but we'll save it for another day. We'll we'll see by the end of the New York series. Yeah. I don't even think he's pitching in that series, but we'll see. Well, is he not? No, oh, I think, Lord. I think, I think his right. next start is like Friday. I'd have, yeah, Friday against oh. Baltimore. So I'll still have something to talk about, I'm sure, with Baltimore. Okay. okay, okay, okay. Anyways, we'll close it out there. For my co-host, Mike Liu, my name is Dave Guadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to episode three of The Batter's Box.